Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi there, guys. Welcome to this episode of Geek Thyself. Hello. It's already the end of March. I know. How does that happen? I don't know. This year has gone really quickly. At least it's feeling Mm -hmm. like it. Well, I mean, compared to last year, anything's going to go quickly. That's true. (laughs) Then we'll get into the actual topic, because, you know, we're really good at staying on topic. We're really good at that. Are we, Um, though? Are we? (laughs) Oh, totally. Absolutely. 100% really good at it. Mm -hmm. Uh, This week, we're going to be covering something a little different, because we had two really sort of, like, facts for like episodes and i know that's kind of our thing and we're still doing that this week but we're doing a little bit more of just like lighter top not lighter topics like not doing quite as deep a dive into into these topics because they're quite broad in themselves mm-hmm. and we're just going to talk about them we're also going to talk about our favorite ones and that's kind of mythologies you know uh like yeah. ancient sort of history or in some cases ancient history yeah well and i i feel like it is Mm. it's not exactly topical but it's kind of like topical adjacent considering easter's coming and what's the most well-known mythology in the world except the bible <laughs> wow wow uh-huh gauntlet throne um <laughs> i mean i guess you're not Right. I now note that I did not say it's incorrect. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion. However, technically, it it isn't proven. It is a mythology. I can I can understand where you are coming from, but the phrasing on that was definitely something. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, we're going to be covering some of those kind of things because they're fun, Mm -hmm. and uh, we are both decent history nuts but yes. we both kind of got drawn into different ones when we were doing our thing uh also uh, we'll probably say this at the end as well uh while we're doing like sort of limited dives into these kind of things if you are sort of interested in any of the bits that we're going to be talking about a you should totally do your own research and b if you'd like us to do a full deep dive onto one of them like in a proper episode like where we can't like so like yeah, like an hour or whatever, because we talked for that long, <laughs> of, of like one specific one, because this is going to be a bit more jumpy about. Yeah, the plan, the basic plan for today, uh, I say plan and not what we're going to do, because, you know, we go off on tangents, so who knows. We do. But the basic plan is that we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different mythologies. Uh, sp- now, we're, there's no, there's absolutely no way that even in a brief synopsis, we could cover every single mythology of every culture in the world. We would literally nope. be here for like a month just talking about, like, even if we just did a synopsis, we'd be here forever. There's just no way that's going to happen. Even so, if we just named them, we'd probably be here for like maybe an hour just naming them yeah. and doing a, the briefest sort of thing. But yeah. we're going to cover some of the... The ones that we like and also some of the you know just the general ones we know a bit about yeah. because you know because uh, there are plenty that, that you know uh, uh, well actually to be fair when I was in primary school a small tangent we actually did learn about a couple of them really in depth in depth for, for like for, for primary school anyway and we didn't go into that kind of depth later on and that kind of bugged me that always bugs me. Anyway, so um, I would guess we could cover a couple in each half and then our representative favourites, one per half, because that just makes things easy. Um, that sounds reasonable. Okay, the first two we kind of pulled out because they are probably the most represented i guess and like sort of well known i feel like they're some of the most well known yeah if if you're talking about like worldwide and people start talking about mythology what ones do most people think of they think of greek and roman yeah and 
the reason they kind of tied together generally is because they're very similar in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but associate different uh, things with their gods, like the Romans I'm not as familiar with. Uh, I'm actually more into the Greek ones, but I know that the Romans associate most of their gods and lesser deities and all that kind of thing with like planets and celestial bodies and mm-hmm. all those good things from from the the outer uh, galaxy. There we go. I couldn't think of the word. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that's the... One of the reasons I think that the Greek and Roman mythology is so popular and one of the things that makes it very distinct from a lot of other mythologies around the world... Um, not all mythologies, but for, I feel like this is actually the case for a lot of European mythologies. Um, but Greek and Roman in particular are known for the fact that like these gods and goddesses all had a very, very, very human appearance. Like they yeah, were beyond human beautiful they were supposed to be like the most attractive beings in the universe kind of thing. But they generally took on a human form. If they did take on some kind of an animal form, it was usually for a much shorter period of time. Looking at you, Zeus. Yeah, Looking seriously. And sometimes for <laughs> creepy purposes, <laughs> Zeus. Um, yeah. Again. <laughs> and so... Um. so um, I think that's one thing that's very distinct about Greek and Roman is like when you think about those gods and goddesses, you almost always, unless you're like specifically discussing one of the stories where they change forms, you always picture them as some sort of human being, or at least yeah, the appearance uh, of a human being. They're obviously not supposed to be human, but... Yeah, which makes them, I guess, easier to do in pop culture. Mm-hmm. When you kind of think of it like that. Like, I remember both Hercules, which I never watched, but I do remember watching Xena. Mm-hmm. Um, um, which is a show like from the nineties, which yes. obviously I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't watch it live because I wasn't around then. But I did watch it, and it's a great show. And it God. does feature gods quite. A I bit. did watch it live. <laughs> it's a great show. <laughs> uh, but that one also uh... features a couple of the Greek gods with Ares and Aphrodite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hades comes up. Uh, Poseidon is in it briefly but he's kind of like the the water like like, yeah he's not as human but you know well yeah not in the depiction they gave him anyway but it is something which is definitely um a good example i think of what i'm talking about where like to a certain extent i feel like because the gods were so human looking for greek and roman mythology it has made it over the years and generations much much easier for people like you and me to associate with that type of mythology because the appearance of the gods is so human and recognizable (laughs) absolutely uh there is also a couple like there aren't many but there are a couple that actually are the same between the two Mm-hmm. Which is also why they're kind of linked. The the two that I've got right now are Pan, whose divine realm was is is wild beasts and the sort of forest nature kind of thing, and then probably more well known as Apollo, mm-hmm. which is archery, music, uh, prophecy, healing, and that and like so you know all the good stuff. Uh, so but those two cross over, so there are definitely some linking between the two. Yeah, well, and and that's why we're doing talking about them together. Also, mm-hmm. um, for anyone who isn't up on their geography and or uh, history of Greek and Roman mythology, um, Greece and Rome are real. Well, Italy now, but Greece and the ancient Roman Empire were basically neighbors. Oh yeah, they were like right next to each other. Yeah, they were literally, like, right next to each other. They both developed in the same Mediterranean area. Mm -hmm. And as the Greek... um, One thing that made the Greeks easier for the Romans to eventually sort of encapsulate and take over, which is why all of, like, a lot of that area is now Italy instead of Greece, Mm -hmm. is the fact that um, 
in Greece, they had city-states, and each city-state had a patron god or goddess. And then, like, all together they had the pantheon and there were interconnections between them and everything. But each city-state was basically run on its own, whereas the Roman Empire was all run centrally. And so they had a cohesive force to then go in and take things over. But one thing that the Romans did in particular, whenever they took over other areas, in order to try and sort of appease the locals and make it easier for them to start integrating, they had a tradition of bringing in some of the local gods or goddesses and kind of incorporating them into their, their at least the local religion of the Roman uh, Empire, if not the Roman Empire as a whole. And Greek and Roman gods and goddesses were already so similar that it was very easy to sort of match them up. And there's just yeah. a couple like Apollo that Russ mentioned, where the god had the same name across both. Yeah, which, like, that has to be, like, somebody just, like, th- there has to be some kind of coordination with that. Like, I can understand if two of them had the same name, but also maybe different things that they represented. But, you know, yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So, like we said, like, Romans, uh, they follow a lot of the things from the skies or the the atmospheric, uh, atmospheric galaxy, like Venus, Mars... Ceres, Minerva, uh, Pluto, Rip Pluto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh, Pluto. Pluto uh, is still a Ju- planet. I don't care. <laughs> uh, J- Juno, Mercury, Vesta, Pan, Neptune, Jupiter. Uh, yeah, they're, they're all kind of there. Uh, and then that kind of splits away when we go into Greeks, which are like Aphrodite, Ares, Artemis, Athena, Dionys- Dionysus. I think is how you say that one. I think. Dionysus, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I should probably mention Hades, Poseidon, and Zeus, which are the three brothers in the mm-hmm. uh, Greek mythology. I don't think they're related in the Roman one. I don't they, think so. Mm, I'd have to double check on that, actually. I'm not 100%. But I know, um, like I said, they had they had matchups, basically, between the two. So, like, Zeus is Jupiter. Yes, and both of those are the god of gods. Yes. Zeus is Jupiter. Poseidon is Neptune. Yep. Hades is Pluto. He got forgotten in Greek mythology and sent to the underworld, and he's, you know, ignored in the planet scheme, too. But, At um, least now, yeah. But yeah, so, but there's a bigger emphasis on those three being brothers, uh, especially with mm-hmm. the Greek sort of pantheon. Uh, yeah, they are similar enough and they kind of had that crossover which is why we're covering them together there's obviously a load more than just the ones we've mentioned uh because they mm-hmm. kind of had a god for everything like if there's yeah. something that you could think of like if even if it's just like fertility or like a good harvest or like luck and life and death and mm-hmm. anything there would be a deity representing part of it Yes, and sometimes those deities, over time, if they were less popular, they kind of got wrapped into the the bigger, more well-known gods and goddesses. Um, or sometimes they became associated sort of as being like the sidekick of one of the main gods. A good example of that is um, Eris. Mm-hmm. Not Eros, but Eris, E-R-I-S, who is the goddess of discord. And she was said to ride with Ares in his chariot when he rode into battle and, like, screaming her head off and causing discord and chaos in her wake kind of thing. I've got to be honest. Just when you said that, like, the god of discord, I'm like, then why is it always playing up? Why does it never work properly? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That was, that was totally off topic, but it just it just made me giggle. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah. Over time, if they basically lost a following, and they still needed like that thing being followed, it, yeah, it kind of just got shoved onto someone else. Mm-hmm. Because you know, people are fickle, and people forget things, and eventually, a lot of people forget things. But yeah, yeah, this is true. Uh, but each of the main gods and goddesses were 
and well, any of the gods and goddesses, you know, they often had more than one domain. Like Apollo was Mm -hmm. known for being the god of the sun, but he was also the god of medicine or one of the, partially the god of medicine. Him and Hermes both kind of did some of it. Mm -hmm. And then he was also um, associated with the muses and music and things like that and poetry i think he was the god of poetry if i'm remembering right like uh, i believe or at so. least or at least it was related to him in some way yeah. because of his association with the muses so all that kind of stuff where like one god or goddess would have a lot of things that they were technically in charge of i just did air quotes not that you can see them and um <laughs> I, I saw them <laughs> yeah that's, that's true <laughs> and uh Sometimes their responsibilities overlapped slightly, but for the most part, it was very, very separated out of like, if you have this, this problem, that's this god, and you you went there and dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, the people who were really devout would end up praying quite a bit to different people, uh, and they would spend time praying like in different kinds of shrines that were pretty much all over sort of Greece and Rome. Mm -hmm. it's also something where because of how greek and roman mythology was with the gods and goddesses constantly you know in the myths coming down to earth and x y and z things happening um it's something where they took their responsibility to those gods and goddesses and they took their sort of uh consequences of not following things correctly very seriously. Mm. Um, a really good example is the Hestial virgins. Hestia is a, a less well-known Greek goddess, but she was the um, the sister of Hera and Zeus and all of them. She's from that mm. same generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember. I'm looking it up right now to make sure I'm remembering correctly. I think her Roman name was Vesta. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And she was known for being the goddess of the hearth, the home, and domestic life. She also was one of the many goddesses who was known for being virginal. And I think uh, I think it was the Vestal virgins. Maybe not the Hestial virgins. I'm double checking myself. Yeah, it was ancient Rome. So in ancient Rome, there was a group known as the Vestal Virgins or the Vestals. Mm -hmm. And they were the priestesses of Vesta, the goddess of the hearth. And there were a lot of uh, rules that they had to follow and things they had to do. One of the things they had to do was to tend the sacred flame at the temple. And if the flame went out when they were supposed to be watching it, they could be punished with death. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> and just crazy things like that. I mean, the virginity thing, you know, they signed on to be priestesses of the virgin goddess. It, it, it is what it is. But um, they were uh, definitely punished also if they were found to lose their virginity. I think also death, if I'm remembering correctly. Yes, they suffered the punishment of being buried alive. Oh wow, that's that's something that terrifies me. Even the concept of that, I don't like at all. No, 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 no. no. I don't um, like yeah, they they cultivated the sacred fire that wasn't allowed to go out, and they um they were freed of their usual social obligations to bear children and marry, and they took a thirty year vow of chastity in order to devote themselves to. Okay, well, at least it wasn't a permanent vow, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose 30 years back then, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about this is ancient, yeah, okay. Mate, most people wouldn't be living that long. Yeah, no, no, they definitely got in a lot of trouble if uh, the fire went out or other issues occurred. It wasn't good. No. Cool. That's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And this actually leads very nicely into some of the other ones we were going to talk about. Because I mentioned already that one thing I think that's very characteristic of specifically of European mythologies, Mm -hmm. if you're looking at especially the ancient ones, Mm -hmm. is for the most part, I mean, at least the ones I'm aware of. Again, we are not 
you know, experts. mythology experts, but just of the ones I'm aware of, like Roman, Greek, Norse, Celtic, across the board, the gods and goddesses are often very human looking. Yeah. And or have interacted with humans and had children with humans. Yeah. Uh, I guess one thing, I guess the one that I actually like the most as a kind of weird thing is one of the ones from Europe that doesn't follow that kind of trend, uh, which is <laughs> uh, the Egyptian mythology. Uh, while some of them do look human, there are definitely ones that don't. <laughs> there are definitely ones that is don't. Is that European though? Yeah. It, oh no, Egypt isn't in Europe. Egypt's not in Europe. How did I do that? It's in Africa. Wow. I even it's, went there. To be fair, to to be fair, <laughs> there is a very, very, very strong history of Egyptian mythology being like wow in, I, of interest and culturally significant in England. To be fair, like yeah. I. I can see where your brain was going. I've literally been there, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. How did I do that? Wow. Well, I mean, I've started now, so I'll mean to go on. <laughs> they're, not in any, they're not in Europe. They're not. They're in Africa. I apologize. Please don't smite me. But <laughs> um, I don't know. I just always really enjoyed learning about them as a thing. Oh no! Okay, you froze for a moment because Discord was being rude because the god of Discord didn't like that I got it wrong. Apparently, you did too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but um, they have. Yeah. A... No, I have to. I have to agree. Egyptian's definitely interesting. Well, and and it's slightly different. It is a little different. Um, I know a bit more about them in general. I think we could an, an episode on them, so I'm not going to go super in depth. But th- this is more general sort of stuff, uh, they have a smaller sort of pool of gods. They still have a wide variety of gods and goddesses, but there are genuinely, like, there's more overlap, and some gods turn into others. Like, I remember when we talked about him last time, there was uh, Bastet, uh, which you brought up, um, mm-hmm. who originally was just Bast and then became Bastet, uh, and they're all about fertility and home protection. Uh, there's Anubis, whose head is mm-hmm. um, a kind of dog, I want to say it's a dog. A jackal. Jackal. Similar. Uh, And underworld stuff and protection. So I guess the equivalent of that would be like Hades, kind of, if you were looking for an equivalent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thoth uh, was magic and wisdom, whose head is like a... An an ibis. ibis. Thank you. I I, I know they're animals, but I don't know very many (laughs) of them, apparently. Uh, Ra is the the sun god, uh, whose head is an eagle. I'm pretty sure that was an eagle. And now you're looking at me, and apparently uh, that's fine. <laughs> well, no, I'm trying to remember if it it's either an eagle, a, hal- a falcon, or a hawk. Yeah, because there's also... But I'm blanking right now on which of the Horus, three. which is one of the other ones, and their protection and health. And then Osiris and Iris, mm-hmm. who are justice, rebirth, and love and magic, and those are the, what would be Zeus, and I don't know where you'd put Isis. Mm. Uh, well, if it's love, I guess it'd be Aphrodite, but I, I guess. But uh, Osiris is the the leader of the the pantheon in that kind of regard, and also did the, mm-hmm. the weighing of the heart and the feather, like when you're like in their sort of ritual for funerals or not funerals mm-hmm. modification, and where the the soul goes after after you die. Uh, basically weighing it against the feather and uh, and see if all of your misdeeds outweigh the feather and if you did uh, Anubis would eat you would eat your heart yep uh, <laughs> um, so but yeah they uh, that was yep. he didn't bother with hell he just ate you yeah pretty much uh, and then you kind of ceased which was definitely something that kept people in line uh, but yeah they they definitely had a different relationship there for one thing the those gods didn't come down to people very much there, there are occasions where they did but not nearly as much as sort of like Zeus did with uh, the Greeks and all that kind of thing uh, they have a much more in-depth um, funeral ritual with their mummification process where they scoop out the, mm-hmm. the brain the heart the lungs and one other thing which I'm blanking on I gotta look it up now because I'm blanking on it. Mummification. 
Yeah. Is it the liver? It might be um, removing. So yeah, uh, but the general sort of thing while I'm looking it up is, uh, it also prepared the body in a so pseudo embalming way, uh, to in one way or another preserve it for their next life. Agent, oh dear. Ah, this is yeah, yeah. Lungs, liver, stomach, intestines, all of those were removed, and then the was Oh no, the the heart was left. Sorry, I got that the wrong way. But the brain was also taken out, and so was the lungs and liver and stomach, which and the intestines, and they were all put into those uh, kind of pots with the gods' heads on them, which represented uh, five of them. The gods, like uh, with the newest being one and Ra and Osiris and Thoth, and I believe um, Anubis as well. Uh, so they all had one bit, and then the heart was put back in, and that was how they kept the, the body, so the heart remained with the body. But that's also the bit that got eaten, so basically that's why they believed that if if you lost, if you were deemed unworthy within the weighing of your heart, uh, you'd lose connection to it, and you'd lose connection to your body, and cease to be. Anyway, so that's a very <laughs> very brief wrap of that. Uh, there's obviously a lot more praying for good harvests, especially with it being in Africa, not Europe. <laughs> Uh, mm. And everything was planted by the Nile, and they had to hope for the best. But yeah, there's a lot more about them. They're really interesting. They love cats. They love cats. Um, they did. They... Which is one of the things that drew me into uh, Egyptian yeah. mythology is their love they of also cats. I saw them as good luck, especially black cats, which is kind of odd when you think about them having that negative mm-hmm. stigma right now. Not right now, like as in. Historically, uh, but yeah, uh, that's mm-hmm. Egyptians. I really like them. I've got a uh, handmade papyrus from Egypt on my walls downstairs. It's super good. It's super cool. The language is weird. The language is weird. But <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. Alright, uh, I think we've covered enough to, to have a break. And then we will cover the two which you kind of gravitate towards. Obviously you gravitate towards all of them because you read so much. But <laughs> all right uh but we will be back in just a moment with a few more things to talk about <clears throat> all right everyone welcome to the mid-roll so like usual i want to start off by talking about one of our amazing sponsors world anvil WorldAnvil.com is an amazing website where you can go and use their campaign management software and just flesh out the world you're creating for your players. It's also got an amazing feature where you can use it to flesh out the world if you're you're writing, if you're an author. So you can choose when you sign up to either sign up as a dungeon master, game master, or as an author, and it gives you different features that you can work with to create the world you have floating around in your brain and put it on paper and flesh it out and show the connections between this character and this country or this person and this other person there's all sorts of features you can use it's absolutely fantastic we definitely recommend you check it out it's free to sign up and then if you love it as Mm -hmm. much as we do and think that you want to use some of their uh, paid features you can sign up to become a guild member and it's very easy and you can cancel at any time and all of that i definitely recommend you check it out worldanvil.com they are amazing and they're amazing people and they're constantly updating things to make everything function better and be even more robust than it already was other people who are super super awesome are the lovely people uh, Castle Die Hard over at dieharddice.com. They focus mainly on dice, if you couldn't guess. Uh, they have lovely metal mm-hmm. dice, which they created their own molds for, and they've been uh, creating for the past few years, and they've always been amazing. They've recently done a few more things for their metal dice in regards to like new ideas with their multi-class dice, where you can get two different dice and click them together so both sides are different and super fun. They also have that same mold now with their polymer dice and the polymer dice are absolutely gorgeous. Uh, even the ones before then they've got the, the Phoenix set and the, uh, the Purple Moonstone which is still one of my favourite sets that I've ever gotten. Uh, they have great mm-hmm. accessories so like their little metal meeples that we talked about, their scroll of rolling to uh, hopefully go and have D&D and role playing games on the go very soon. If everything keeps going in the right direction, which is super fun. 
uh, they have an amazing sort of uh, inventory of anything you could imagine. They're always um, working on new stuff, and you should absolutely check them out. And if you do, you can use the code NerdSmith-APR. Uh, APR? Uh, dyslexia. APR. Dyslexia is really bad for that. But <laughs> you can use that code to get 15% off your next order. They have free shipping in the US uh, and then discounted international shipping for people like me in the UK and everywhere else. We love them very much. They've supported us for such a long time and they're so great. You should absolutely check them out at dieharddice.com. Alright. So now we've gushed about the people that we love a lot. We're going to get back into different mythologies because we've only covered three and we're already half an hour through. But this is nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. We are actually doing pretty well for time, considering it's us. Oh dear. Anyway. <laughs> we have a few more to cover. Oh, another one that you mentioned well before I went on to mine was Norse. Which is one that I don't know much mm-hmm. about. But. So I don't know a ton about Norse mythology. No. Um, I'm not going to lie. For anyone who, who, like me, is a huge fan of like the Percy Jackson novels and everything. Um, I have read most of the Rick Riordan mythology-based novels. So I've, I've read all of the Percy Jackson and Camp Half-Blood. Which is... I'm most of the way through the Apollo which Trials, is, which is his most recent yeah, one. That's Greek, that's in Greek that world. stuff, yeah, I'm pretty sure. That's Greek. They touch on Roman also in parts Again, of it. Again, they're so close. They're basically um, I don't want to go into it because that's spoilery, but they definitely touch base with the Roman uh, side of things as well. And then there's... Um, he did a series of the Cain Chronicles, I think is what it's called about um, two siblings who are related to Egyptian Ooh. mythology. You would actually probably I, I've love it. I've heard lots of good things about Rick Ryden's writing. I've never mm-hmm. looked into it. Like, I've seen the Percy Jackson film, and the first one was okay, the second one wasn't great. But I've always been like, I should get into that. Yeah. I feel like I should. I really enjoy that. I think you would enjoy all I, of them. I, I must bookmark them. And I'm pretty sure most of them are available on audiobook. That is the next thing I was going to ask, because if anybody knows me, <laughs> I can't read real books. <laughs> um okay and um one of his series that's more recent is about a boy named following a boy named magnus chase and it's all about the norse mythology now i knew some even before reading those books but he I've learned some from him as well. And one thing I do know about him is that he does a lot of research to make sure he's giving at least one of the correct interpretations based off of the information people have. Obviously, he's taking a lot of political or um, a lot of license with it because he's writing a story. Oh, obviously. But in terms of like what they represented, at least and stuff, that part, he's usually really good about keeping correct. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And um, so I learned a little more from there. In terms of Norse mythology, obviously most people recognize Thor. Yeah. The god of thunder. And it's not a big surprise. I mean, even if you don't know Norse mythology, Marvel is very much a big thing at this point. Mm-hmm. Most people are going to know who Thor is. Especially if you're listening to this kind of podcast. Yeah. You know. The, yeah. Chances, Chances are high. Are pretty high. Um, one thing that both Marvel and Rick Riordan have gotten correct is that one of the parts of Norse mythology was that there were different realms or different, it almost like different dimensions. Now, obviously in Marvel, they've represented it as being like, there's all these different planets, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that the, the Aesir, the gods in Asgard were basically aliens who came mm-hmm. to our planet, which is, I mean... It's amazing. I'm sure there's people out there who consider that an interpretation of the history. It's it is what it is, but um, it is true that in Norse mythology, most of their Aesir or their gods looked very yeah. human. They did have some that were not, but for the most part, their gods were very human-looking, and they were thought to have come from Asgard to to help 
the Vikings and, and the Norse peoples. And then, of course, they returned to Asgard, but left behind their teachings. And, um, and they had the halls of Valhalla, where if you served Odin, the gods in Odin well and died in battle, a Valkyrie would come down to take you to Valhalla. And eventually, they believe that Ragnarok will happen and all of the souls of these fallen warriors who proved themselves in battle will go on to fight on Zeus, not Zeus, sorry, fight on Odin's side um, in the final battles of Ragnarok and all this craziness. And one thing that I do think is interesting mm -hmm. is that in their Ragnarok mythology, um, well, there's a couple of things that are interesting. One is that they already know how it's going to end. Yeah. In in Norse mythology with Ragnarok, the end of the world, they already have as part of their mythology exactly how it's going to end. And um not and they also know who's going to live. Okay, I didn't know that bit. Part of their mythology is that there there's like this one person who lives. Oh wow. I don't remember who it is right now as I'm saying that. Give me a second to look it well, up. Well, that's uh, fine because I can I can vent about something that's frustrating me. Uh, you know, I just went and looked up, you know, like uh, Rick Riordan on you know, Frodo and stuff. Um, and this is not a sponsor, but Audible is what I use because it's just good. And they've got book one and two and three and then five. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why do you do me like this? That's that's no help. <laughs> that's no help. They have got a. I think they've got the whole Percy Jackson saga though, which I am excited to look into because that's probably the one I'm most familiar with uh, in that kind of regard. Um, okay, and I found I found the list of survivors. Ooh. So I'm remembering incorrectly. There is more than one survivor, but there's not many. Um, the surviving gods after Ragnarok are Hjonir, Magni, Modi, Njord, Vidar, Vali, and the daughter of Sol. Uh -huh. um, they reunite in Ithavlir. I'm not saying that right, I'm sure. No, and then Baldur and Hod return from the underworld. Um, okay. Hjonir... Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, basically they all, they're the survivors. Uh -huh. And they're the ones who lead the world into what will happen after Ragnarok. Sounds decent. Although I, I expected mm -hmm. to see Thor on that list. No, oh, Thor dies. Interesting. That's... Yeah, so Thor... Thor fights the Midgard Serpent. Um, uh, Jormungandr. I'm not saying that right, but that's the name. It might be Jormungandr, because it's a J at the beginning. Not sure. But they fight. Um, Thor kills him, but then he dies from the wounds and the poisoning. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Um, I think that's a decent amount for that. But you still have two, mm -hmm. which... Okay, we'll just say the names, is, which aren't going to be a surprise that you are very into Japanese mythology, for one thing. And then there's also mm -hmm. Native American, which also makes a lot of sense, considering you live in America. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, which one would you say, if you had to pick, you like, like to learn more about, I guess? Well, I'd love to learn more about both of them. If I had to pick one, I think I would probably go with Japanese mythology. That's fair. Um, partly because as much as I find Native American mythology incredibly fascinating and interesting, there are too many different ones. Yeah, that's fair. Um, for anyone Sorry. who's... No, I was oh, just going to say, we were, we've mentioned that very briefly before we started about how they have mm -hmm. more localized traditions and and sort of practices. Yeah, I mean it. Um, 
for anyone who's studied American history, um, which hopefully is every American listening to this podcast, you've studied it at least a little bit during school. If you don't remember any of it, then I have concerns about your education. But, um, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's always a couple of things that are touched on about Native Americans, at least minimum. And unfortunately, it's not covered as much as I think it should be personally, especially given how horribly they were treated in our nation's history. But um, one of the reasons that I would choose if I had to choose to learn Japanese versus Native American, I would choose Japanese is because every Native American tribe has its own mythology. And there's a lot of similarities between certain ones, especially if those two tribes happened to live near each other, or maybe there were times where one tribe would sort of split off from another. So in those cases, their mythology is very similar. And there are certain things that are very, very, um, like in areas of the country are sort of regionally similar. Like for an example, um, over here in the West Coast area, we have coyotes. Um, I'd have to look at a map of their territory, but I don't believe coyotes are as much of an East Coast thing. Now I'm curious and I have to look because I actually don't know this and it's going to bug me. Um, So I double-checked. Coyotes were more commonly present in the western half of the Mm -hmm. country um they've spread further now so now they're kind of everywhere but like back in the 1900s and 1800s and stuff they would have been more localized in the west coast area and um it comes as no surprise then that there's quite a few native american tribes in the west coast area especially like desert areas where coyotes are one of the bigger predators Mm -hmm. and everything um, that have a coyote god. Because, yeah. And in most cases, the degree to which he is a trickster god varies depending on which tribe it is and what their mythology says. But generally speaking, the coyote is a trickster god. And he's often uh, tricking either the other gods or, in some cases, the the Native American people themselves. But either way, he's often depicted depicted as a trickster god. And um, similarly, there's a lot of Native American tribes that have a raven god. Um, the raven god uh, is not always as much of a trickster, but it, it depends because he often is also shown as a trickster god. Um... But that's another one where, you know, it's going to vary depending on which tribe you're talking about. So it's really, really, really hard to say 100%. But one thing that is interesting, I think, about Native American um, mythology and also about Japanese mythology is that the gods and goddesses are not necessarily human. Now, there, I'm not going to lie, there are a lot of Japanese gods that are depicted as being more human-looking. But even then, sometimes their humanness is more similar to like what you would expect to see from an Egyptian yeah. god or goddess, where like their body is human, but they have like the head of a jellyfish or something like that. It would be lit- pretty much impossible for me to sit here and uh, go through every single one. Yeah. Um, there's just not enough time. Nope. Definitely not. <laughs> and we also still have another one that you like quite a bit to cover anyway. So. Yes. Uh, there are... Um, I will say that personally, some of the gods I'm the most familiar with mm-hmm. are in terms of Native American mythology are not surprisingly the ones that are from the Western tribes, um, given that I grew up in California. So, you know, when we learned about Native American history and Native American deities, those were the ones that would have been more um, sort of more obviously talked about. And especially, um, you know, we studied about like, the Anasazi Native American tribe that disappeared and no one knows what happened to it. And, you know, we're near the deserts where uh, 
were near-ish anyway, the deserts where groups like the Navajo and the Arapaho would have had their, um, I think I'm remembering that correctly that Arapaho is over here. Mm-hmm. Now I'm questioning myself. <laughs> I feel bad if I'm getting it wrong. <laughs> well, uh, we've already said before that we are not experts. Definitely not experts. Um, okay, I'm, I'm not remembering. Colorado. Colorado's, I consider Colorado a Western state, so that's that's where that my brain was getting that from. Fair enough. At least you weren't, at least you weren't totally off the mold. To be fair, that rarely yeah. happens. I have my moments, but um, there's a lot of those Native American tribes that were based out of the California or the Western state area that I learned bits and pieces about um, during school. And then also like in college, there was a class I took that was about Native American mythology, um, which was really interesting. And it's one of the things that got me so interested in the fact that like the mythologies have some similarities, but they're also extremely different. Mm -hmm. Um, and very, very, very regional and very, very, like, each tribe has its own. Um, so that's one of the reasons why if I had to pick between the two, I would I would choose to study Japanese mythology because it's a little more cohesive. Well, yeah, it, it, it's definitely... Still crazy, though. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's less deviation between smaller areas, I guess. Yeah. Although, as yes and no. Oh dear. <laughs> um, again, I don't know much about Japanese mythology because I, I, I don't really know much about Japan in general. Just I, I don't. I'm not super familiar mm-hmm. with anime and manga. I know what they are, obviously, but I don't know much about them. I don't know much about the mythology, but uh, you, yeah, I just don't. Uh, so for Japanese mythology, uh, it's largely a collection of different folk tales and beliefs and stories that kind of sprung up in Japan. Um, a lot of the mythology is based on Buddhist and Shinto traditions. Okay. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with Shinto, Shinto, it, it's also called Kami no Michi. Um, but it's a rich religion that originated in Japan. And it's one that often um, very, very heavily involves sort of um, spirits or gods. It's very polytheistic. So there's lots and lots and lots of spirits and gods. Um, But one of the beliefs of it is that supernatural entities inhabit all things. So like that mountain that you drive by every day going to work has a kami. Um, the river, the creek that runs behind your house has a kami. The, you know, the small local shrine that someone put up 200 years ago or whatever um, to celebrate the fact that there was a good harvest and thank the spirits of the land, that now has a kami. Like, everything has a kami or god or spirit. Mm-hmm. And... um in that regard, it is somewhat similar to Native American religion um, and mythology, seen as a lot of Native American mythology also considers many different natural entities to have some kind of a spirit or energy. Sure. Um, and because of that, Japanese mythology is one of those ones where there are sort of central gods that make up sort of the ancient pantheon of Japanese mythology. Mm -hmm. But also you could go to like a little fishing village in the middle of nowhere in Hokkaido. And that little fishing village might have its very own kami that it considers to be a local kami that they have a little shrine to and they give offerings to. And it's completely their own. If you go to another spot in the country, no one knows who the heck that god is. But that is one of their their spirits or their kami that they that they worship. So that's why when you said like No, no, that's <laughs> it's, fine. It's more it's more similar. I was like, eh No, no, that, I like, I don't know kind enough. Of... I don't know nearly enough to be accurate. But so <laughs> what I'm kind of getting from that is that sometimes the people in their local areas like put energy into 
something that could be, becomes a, like a spirit or a god or a kami, kind of. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kind of. Um, I'm trying to think of. It. It's more like. Um, it would be more like maybe. Um, you know, one year, however many generations or hundreds of years ago, there's a farmer yeah. in a little farming town. And he and his family or family and friends or just the village in general, like people there decide like we really need a good harvest this year. We should pray to the spirits of the land. Mm-hmm. They pray to the spirits of the land and then and give them offerings. And then suddenly they have a good harvest. And so it kind of like it sticks. And then they had such a good harvest they're they're trying to figure out like okay so it worked so they do it again and again and again and over time they start to sort of develop a mythos around like the spirit of this land and eventually someone names it yeah and now this this spirit of the land isn't just them saying like thank you spirit of the land now it's it's gonna thank you xyz name and now they've named it and it sticks. And it's or in more some real cases, it might be something so. where, yeah, in some cases, it might be something where they thought that like a specific, like maybe someone who had lived there before that passed away was doing it or something, like a spirit of yeah. something, or maybe someone had a t- a story, like a family story about, oh, there's X, Y, and Z spirit that lives in that rock over there, or something like. It could be anything like that, but something about it, something caused them to start worshiping it and giving it, giving it offerings. And it's one of the reasons if you look up, um, like, you know, Japanese Shinto shrines, um, especially if you look up like, um, household ones or like roadside ones, there are places in Japan to this day where there's little spirit houses. If you look up Shinto spirit houses, you'll see them. And it's not going to surprise anyone. <laughs> like the, the image is very iconic Japan. Um, um, yeah, I've just looked. Now I'm looking it up. Yeah, I've looked it up. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that doesn't surprise me much. They look really cool. Yeah. And, um, the you'll see them all the time in like anime they're in spirited away all over the place if you've seen that anime but they're the little stone houses yeah and basically the idea and how fancy they are would vary poor more um impoverished areas would obviously have less fancy ones um but a lot of times you know they've got the very traditional japanese sloped roof and they've got often um, very very square and made of stone. Sometimes they're open. Um, sometimes if you're in a fancier area, they almost look like a little house. Uh, sometimes yes. <laughs> sometimes they're used as cat houses. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, cats are not bad luck in Japan. They're definitely good luck, yeah. and especially depends on what the cat looks like and where it's located. But either way, um, these spirit houses are everywhere. Yeah. In like traditional little areas, you can find them or near old shrines and things like that. You can find them. And the idea was that you would put offerings at these shrines. And basically it was like a thank you to whatever god or goddess was supposed to be there. And um, that's all over. So there, there are a lot of sort of local deities and kami and to be clear kami doesn't necessarily mean like a true god in the sense of some other mythologies like egyptian and roman and stuff it's not like it's not necessarily that that particular entity is the god of all rivers or the god of all the oceans or whatever it would be more like that spirit that because kami can mean spirit or god depending on how it's used so that spirit was like the energy of this particular river um like in spirited away they give a really good example for anyone who's seen the movie when 
this is spoilery. If so, if anyone wants to watch it and not be surprised, stop listening for a second. But it's like when she, when um, the main character, whose name I just blanked on, finds out that Chihiru, I... Chihiru, I'm um, blanking, but she finds out that her friend, the, the dragon kid who's been helping her, is actually the spirit of a river. Right. And remembering that he's the spirit of a river frees him. So he is a kami. He's a spirit. He's the god of that river. But he's not like an all-powerful, all-seeing, nothing-can-defeat-him kind of god, the way a lot of Roman and Greek and even Egyptian gods were depicted. But it's I, more like he's the spiritual energy of that river. Yeah, of that particular place. And all places kind of have that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can yeah. get so that. there's they do have they do have um a pantheon. There is a pantheon um of like the main kami. Mm-hmm. Um however, especially when you're looking at Shinto religion, there's like there's hundreds and there's countless kami, but there are sort of certain gods and goddesses that are considered at the head of the Japanese mythos. Um, sort of like its origins, and there's there's a whole lot of ancient mythic texts that deal with like exactly who these are. There's not a lot of them, um, and especially there's not a lot of the oldest ones. So really, there's limited information in terms of what the like ancient history is. Sure, sure, sure. The oldest. Uh, literary sources are the Kojiki and the Nihon Shoki. And each of them talk about um, how the go- the sun goddess Amaterasu um, and her grandson Mimigi are the ancestors of the imperial family. Okay, so... So... <laughs> so Sudu... Um, Amaterasu yeah, Amaterasu, also known as uh, Amaterasu Omikami, mm-hmm. or sometimes <laughs> oh, no. Ohirume no Muchi no Kami. Um, she's the goddess of the sun in Japanese mythology. So contrary to a lot of other, like the European mythologies, for example, the goddess of the sun was, it was a goddess instead of a god. Okay. Um, and she's also one of the most important, one of the major deities in um, the Shinto religion. She, mm, I'm trying to think, the um, pr- probably the like the closest thing would be like she's like Zeus. Okay, right. So she's like the head, the, the, the head, head of the pantheon. In many, the way she's depicted is often like that. Um, she yeah, had uh, two siblings, the moon deity, Sukuyomi, and the storm god, Susanoo. Right. And she's considered to be one of the, the three precious children, the three um, offspring of the original creator god, Izanagi. Okay. So, like, Iz- Izanagi and Izan- um, also sometimes called Izanaki. Yeah. Um, and his sister wife, Izanami... So very, very similar to like the Kronos and Rhea kind of yeah. idea. They um, they were the last of seven generations of primordial deities. And their three children were Amaterasu, Tsukuyomi, and Susanoo. And um, so there's a lot of similarity between that and sort of the Greek-Roman idea yeah. of having multiple generations of gods. Mm-hmm. But um, basically, these two siblings um, had their children, and they had received a command from other gods to shape Earth. And um, they created these island, an island called Onogoro, and they descended to it, and they set up their dwelling, and that's where they started um, having their offspring. Um, and uh, the first child was actually imperfect. Okay. Uh, the one that they gave uh, birth to, his name was Hiruko. 
but he's actually the Japanese god of fishermen and luck, and he is one of the seven gods of fortune. Okay. Um, they set him adrift on a boat of reeds. <laughs> I wonder where uh, that one came from. I don't know. No, can't think. <laughs> um, and then after that, they were still trying to create, they were trying to create land also. So like the islands are supposed to be their progeny. Yeah. Um, and after giving birth to Hiruko, uh, they continued on to have children and, and gave birth to the various islands that comprise the archipelago of Japan. So basically they literally birthed the islands gotcha. into being. And along the way also had the three children Mm -hmm. um okay. that i mentioned earlier yeah that makes sense um so and then when they left they divided the they basically divided the world into the three territories for their children so um amaterasu was allotted the plain of high heaven like the sky mm -hmm. basically takamagahara mm -hmm. um and it's where the heavenly gods reside the amatsukami so any heavenly god is up okay. there that makes and then there was also uh tsukiyomi was given the night which considering the she, you know god of the yeah, moon makes sense, sense. yeah uh -huh. and susano was given the seas um but he didn't do his task correctly and instead you know um kind of went around just crying and howling <laughs> and causing problems. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And so he was expelled. <laughs> he got in trouble. You know, yeah, that was that. I can, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot more to it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of gods. <laughs> yeah. Um. And it would take me forever uh, to go through everything. But basically, they do have a like a core pantheon who are supposed to be like the the most powerful gods and goddesses who sort of make up the um, the history of Japan. Yeah, so the short version is that there are different, there's different realms of the gods in Japanese mythology. I mentioned Amaterasu and the Amatsukami are the heavenly gods, um, especially in Shinto, uh, Shinto mythology. There is a leader of sort of the earthly deities. Yeah. Um, called, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see if I can say this quickly, uh, Sarutahiko, yeah. Sarutahiko Kami. Okay is the leader of the earthly deities. Um, and his wife is uh, Amenozume no Mikoto, the goddess of the dawn, mirth, meditation, revelry, and the arts. Um, she is... I, I just nodded as though you could still see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Um, there's also others such as the um, Inari Okami. Mm. Uh, they're also called the O Inari. And they are the Japanese kami of foxes, fertility, rice, tea, and sake. Yep. Um, and yep. That's, I don't, I could keep going. There's yeah. so many. Uh, <laughs> I... Uh, have, you have you? I think you've covered most of everything, like, like which we feasibly can cover. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to give you guys an idea, like if you go to Wikipedia and look up list of Japanese deities. Yeah, um, I did that. The list is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the major kami. Uh, I haven't counted them, but the major kami, the list is like similar to what you would probably see with Greek yeah. or Roman. Like, you know, it's a some, somewhat reasonable number. It's like, oh, that's not too bad. Then you start going further down the list and you look at the minor kami, 
And now suddenly you've got like probably 30 more names. And keep in mind, that's just the minor kami that are considered like recognizable enough to be in more than one area. That's not even like the like little middle of nowhere kami. And yeah, now we should probably call it good because this has gotten long. <laughs> Look, sorry. No, 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 it's, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> I, I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to add much to that conversation, but it was really fun to listen to you. Uh, I hope everyone else enjoyed listening to you as well. Like I said, uh, this is brief stuff. I mean, Japanese, we went a little bit more, but still there's plenty and plenty and plenty of stuff to carry uh, to go into. Mm-hmm. If there is other, if you do want us to do like a, a dedicated episode on any of them, please let us know. We're always looking for of topics to do because you know we're, we've got to we, we like to do the thing and talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, but apart from that, we hope you're staying safe and healthy and happy, and you're all having a good year as far as you can. We'll be back in mid April with the next one somewhere around there. Yeah, mid April. Yeah. Um, and then I. Yeah, and well, yeah, that's when we'll next be back. Uh, until then, we will see you soon. Bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org and please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts we'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode and until then don't forget to geek thyself geek thyself